Praise the Lord. How y'all doing? Good. It's almost daylight savings. It's almost there. Mm-hmm. Yep, November the 3rd. Praise the Lord. Can you turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the book of James? We've been in James so far uh, looking at what the Apostle is telling us so that we can be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And so today is going to be our last installment on a little series we've been doing on the book of James. God's good to us. We're going to look specifically in James chapter 5 today. Let's come to the Word of God together, uh, as, and, and let's pray first. You ready? Father, thank you that you are so good to us. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us every day by your Word. Lord, intangibly even, you speak to us. Father, thank you that you have not abandoned us. You didn't abandon us to sin. You didn't abandon us to death. You raised us to life with yourself. And not only that, God, but then you decided that by your Holy Spirit you would indwell us to be your new temples. Lord, we are overwhelmed by how wonderful you are, how beautiful you are, how perfect is your rule. Lord, every word that falls from your mouth is like life to us because your word is life. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just give us salvation and walk away. But, Lord, you made us whole in you that you would be everything to us. Lord, that's what it's supposed to be like. Help us, God. Help us to orient our focus on you today. Help us, Lord, that as we look at your word, that you would affect our hearts, affect our action in our hands, that we would serve and follow you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Yes. Amen. 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 Let's read together. We're going to read in James chapter 5, and we're going to read at verse, starting at verse 13. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will rise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Praise God for his word. Hallelujah. The book of James is great. It's a fascinating book. It's short. Um, sometimes it's nice to be able to read something. You're like, I read a whole book today. And you read five chapters, and it's great. So study James with me. It's awesome. Um, here's the context of James. This is what James is about. James is a book written by the Apostle James to the Jews. Uh, he knows the Bible. The Jews that he's writing to generally know the Old Testament. So they are not uh, biblically illiterate, as we like to say sometimes. They know the history of what's happened. Uh, they know what God has done. And these are believers now in Christ who have a context to them because of Judaism. He is describing how to live in light of God's gospel. 
So we like to say here at New Covenant, love Jesus, love people, which James calls the royal commandment of that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. That's what Jesus said. That was his royal commandment to everyone. That was uh, the Old Testament standard of how we should live called the Shema, which is uh, still recited today by Jews around the world. And so Jesus took that principle and carried it through into the New Testament, into the New Covenant. And so James is taking that, love Jesus with all your heart, and let that love for Jesus then be portrayed in love for other people by loving your neighbor as yourself. But how does that actually happen? And he tells us a couple ways that we should do that. The first way he tells us is that we should be a person of action, according to God's word, instead of just somebody who hears the word. Now remember, the context is people who knew the Old Testament. They understood what God had done and sort of the history of covenantal love from the beginning of time. And so knowing the Bible, at least to some extent, James is telling them a context, not just saying, have a good philosophy of love and live by that mantra. Instead, he's saying, take the root of scripture that's in you and display that root in action so that when you display real love to other people, it really looks like what the Bible talks about love. It looks like God's nature of love onto people. So we should be people of action. He tells us specifically that a way to do this is to rule our tongues. And so we didn't, and that's probably the most famous James chapter ever, which we actually didn't talk about a whole lot in this particular time in the Word just because it is so popular. But ruling your tongue becomes a sign of how God has changed your life. Because if you're able to take rule over your tongue, that small member of your body that gets everybody in trouble because we all say things we regret, then it shows a demonstration of how God rules over our whole lives. The same thing goes for tithing, by the way. So where your money is, there your heart is also. That's what Jesus said. You store up these treasures. That's where it displays your heart. So when we tithe, we take a small thing, like a dollar bill, and we demonstrate to God and to everyone else around us through the tithe that the Lord is not just the Lord in an ethereal kind of way, but he is tangibly God in our lives, and we trust him with our finances, and we say, this is my heart toward you, God. It looks like this. And in the same way with taming our tongue, ruling our speech becomes a measure of how God's rule over our lives affects us. Because, boy, have you ever been cut off in traffic and things come out of your mouth that you did not realize were there? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been wronged by somebody in a kind of not a big way, like your, your fast food order is just totally wrong, and they disrespected you in the process. You know what I'm talking about? When a 15-year-old kid's like, hey, man, what's up? Like, what? You didn't even get the order right. Plus, I'm not your man. What are you talking about? And something inside you comes out, these ridiculous people, and all of a sudden, this stuff comes out of you. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? One little member of your body demonstrates God's rule over your heart. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the Proverbs tells us, the mouth speaks. And so here's a way that James is saying, let's evaluate ourselves. And let's let our actions line up. Let's put our money where our mouth is, as we like to say in America. The last thing he says, or the last thing kind of as a way of context that James is, that helps us, is it's realistic about suffering. James realizes in a contextual kind of way that there is suffering happening in the world and not everybody is great. Not everything is fantastic. 
Not everybody has tons of money. Not everybody's in great, wonderful circumstances. He also understands that some rich people are oppressing other people. And there are even rich people in the church or Jews who are now saved who are still oppressing people and yet trying to come praise God. And so he's saying to them, let your actions line up with the scriptures, not just in your speech, but how you treat your employees. And also he's saying, for those of you who are poor, those of you who are suffering, those of you going through tough times, remember Jesus Christ and let his love and his word influence you that you would live his way. That's a background on the book of James that we've been talking about for several weeks. Why am I telling you all that stuff? I'm telling you all that stuff because if you're writing a very, 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 very important letter, knowing that the end of your life is near, for the legacy of your life's work, how you end that letter is super important. Isn't it? The last thing you're going to say to your family or your friends or your company or your whatever, you want it to, to say something, right? So James' final word here is basically a mini-summarization of his whole book, of his whole letter, in which he says, if you get nothing else, please get this. And so understanding the context of what his whole book is about is going to help us as we look at this last little section we just read, because it's the last word. It's the last thing he writes, and it's the first thing he wants you to get. So let's look at a couple of key themes in James as we're going to do that in just a moment. Here are some things, because I just told you it's a, summary, it's a summary work of the whole letter. Here are the key themes in summary. We're going to lead, read a couple sections. I know it's small. I really tried to make it bigger. Couldn't get it to fit on the thing right. Here's a couple key themes that come out in the book of James. The first one is this. Count it all joy in trials. Count it all joy in trials. Now, that's easy to say, super hard to do. And here's what it means. When you're going through suffering in difficult times and trials come upon our lives, specifically not things that we, that we have done that, that are silly, right? So if we don't pay our electric bill for six months just because we don't care about it, and then we're like, oh, the electric's getting turned off. It's not what he's talking about, right? Now, if you can't pay the electric bills for, for six months and it's getting turned off, or somebody in the electric company found out you're a Christian and is like, forget you, and keeps turning off your power, those are different kind of things, right? That's what he's talking about. In talking about counting it all joy and trials, he tells us a couple things. The first thing he says is that we should be steadfast. We should be steadfast in our faith. We should be steadfast in the way we love God. We should be steadfast in our understanding with no double-mindedness. In other words, we shouldn't be lukewarm Christians. We're either fully for God or we're not. And so he's telling us we need to walk God's way. He also tells us that we should demonstrate pure religion, which is kind of an interesting phrase that he uses. Is there somebody really loud who would like to read that passage for us? James 1, 26 and 27. I know, I'm putting you on the spot. That's what happens when we don't have a lot of visitors, by the way. I'm just kidding, I'm playing. <laughs> who can read James 1, 26 and 27 for us? If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. <coughs> Pardon me. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Sorry, let me get that It's okay. The Father is this. To visit, well, I was really excited that Mike was doing it too. It's like, it's like the Living Hope verse almost. That's okay. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? It's lovely. Now, when you think about that, when you think about real religion, a person who's really not just religious, because we like to say a lot of times, we're not religious, we have a relationship with God. You know? But the reality is, you belong to Christianity, and the whole world says, oh, that's your religion. So in the common parlance, in the common way people speak, you're a very religious person. In fact, the fact that you are here today makes you more religious than 75% of all of America. Way more religious, because it's not even a holiday. So that is a big deal. And if you gave money in the offering, then you are more religious than 90% of all Americans, period. So you are, you are the Navy SEALs of religion. Awesome. Yeah. Hoorah. So if you are, you're the Navy SEALs. So what does that, isn't that a, an interesting phrase, though, of what pure religion is? Because what do we think of with pure religion? Man, pure religion's Mother Teresa. Like it's, you are, you're living a life of poverty. You give everything you are to helping children probably. I mean, you are, you're in the trenches in some kind of missionary concept. Probably that's pure religion. But what James tells us is not the same. It's just remembering orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, think about this. The apostle is telling us, keep yourself unstained from the world. It's right up there, right up there with remembering orphans and widows. That's incredible. Because in our day and age, it's a lot easier to say, well, I'm a Navy SEAL, so it's okay if I dabble in these things or let these attitudes out or every once in a while I slip or I put money in the swear jar so it doesn't really matter or whatever. And I'm saying that because look at all of the Christian pastors in the news who have fallen hard all, every day. Or people walking away from the faith all the time. And people doing weird, crazy stuff. They're not just renouncing Christianity. These are Christian personalities, if you will, in terms of the media, who are going far different directions. Far different directions. We've got to be a people who are unstained. We stay pure. Because when we visit widows and orphans and we're just living out the love of Christ, you really do look different. And that's why somebody like Mother Teresa, God bless her, man, she gave her life. That's why she springs to mind, is you think, here's a lady who did it, but she did it because she loved God. And she loved people, which is exactly what James is telling us, isn't it? How can we be like that? It doesn't mean you have to go live in a hovel or... You don't need to move to India tomorrow or Africa or wherever or, or downtown and start living with homeless people. How can we remember widows and orphans in our area? One way is loaves and fishes. Right? So, and the reason I'm telling you that is not a big plug for what we're doing in the church. It's look at the little step. Oh, here I'm doing it now. Instead of the giant leap of I got to go and move somewhere else. Does that make sense? Don't let the devil trick you. Because if you just do the little step, suddenly you're like, wow, the grace of God is here to do things. But man, it's overwhelming to try to move to another continent, isn't it? I'm just being real, because this is how, it, this is real. All right, we're never going to get through this if I'm in a hurry. Okay, do the word. Be doers of the word. That's evidenced by taming the tongue. We've already talked about that a little bit. We should fulfill the royal law. I'll read this one. 
289. Somebody please get ready for me. Frank Kellum, you're going to be it. You got 317 coming up. So 289 is this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, which is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails on one point has become accountable for all of it. Here's what James is telling us. If we say we love God and we love people, but we only love certain people, based on economic status, based on skin color, based on whatever, we're not fulfilling the, what God said. And that's important because what James is telling us is you can't pick and choose what you want God to have said. He's already said his word. Now we're doers of the word. And through our speech, through our actions, we, we are accountable to what God has already said. And we have to do all of it. It can't just be part of it. So if we are really, 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 really good at talking to only people who are just like us. So I really like cars. And so I love talking to people about cars. And I, I know nothing about IT, so I don't want to talk to any of those IT nerds. Which is not true, by the way. But isn't it, that's the common thing, isn't it? This is what people start to think. Oh, those guys. Or the jocks. Oh, I, can, I can never identify with those jocks. Or God forbid I have to talk to a woman about doTERRA. It's going to be the worst. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> you gotta, but you got to do the whole thing. Okay, let's go on. Faith without works is dead. Look, I just left it there. I didn't even address it. I just left it there. Faith without works is dead. This is more about taming the tongue, and it is evidence of faith. Because faith without works, it's dead. No good. Then we get to this part about wisdom from above. If you're struggling with all these things, we look to God, who's the author of Scripture, for his wisdom. Frank, are you ready for us? Go for it. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. If you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, it's sin. Now, this is different because sometimes we think of trying to just get by by following the Ten Commandments. This is the classic youth thing, too, of people. I'm going to read another one in a minute, too. So everybody's like, wait a minute. Don't worry about it. This is the classic thing, too. In youth group, every question is about how far can I go before I'm really in sin? It's not, it's not good because kids are wise idiots. All of us were, aren't we, sophomores? We all were. And it, listen, if you're a senior in high school or in high school, I love you and I'm for you. I don't mean that in a mean way against you. I'm saying that to the adults who understand. You guys are great. We really care for you. But I'm telling you, there's something about the wisdom of living a little bit where suddenly you get to understand things, and it's different now, isn't it? And things that seemed so big, so huge, when you were 13 years old are not the same anymore. But the wisdom from God is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The wisdom of God, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. It bears good fruit. This is what God's called us to. And so in seeing what God has done, the wisdom from above, it's far better than the wisdom that we think on the earth is really good. We should draw near to God. Here's what 4, 7 through 10 says. 4, 7 through 10. 
Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, the Bible is full of telling us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So why would James then, to, to all these followers, say, basically make yourself wretched before God? Humble yourself, and all this will weep, and all these kind of things. Why would he say that? Because he understands from Scripture that God is not just about making us feel better. He is high above us, and we need to come before him realizing that he is the Lord. He is above, and just meeting our needs is not his primary concern. And as we come to him in that kind of humility, drawing near to him as he is, not as a genie in a lamp, all of a sudden he's the one who exalts us. He's the one who builds us up. He's the one who gives us purpose. He's the one who speaks joy into our life. And man, it's so good. But we get our ways confused sometimes because we think that, we think that God is someone he's not. And James is reminding us, look at scripture, remember who God is, be a person of action, draw near to God as he is, not as you want him to be. As we do that, we can't be friends with the world. The reason for this is we belong to God. Drawing near to God has outward love for others. It means action. It means humbling ourselves. It means that we don't just boast about tomorrow, but we realize that it's the Lord who gives us every breath. It means that whether we are rich or poor or whatever we are, we need to remember to have all of our sustenance, all of our righteousness, and all of our hope in Jesus and not in ourselves. That's especially hard for people who have means. Um, I had an interview with somebody the other day who uh, sells exotic things that are very expensive, and he was telling me that he has a, uh, a billionaire client. And um, so he, we, were, we were doing the math, and for him to come in and buy a bunch of stuff, a couple million dollars worth of things, it's less than 1% of his income. Less than one, it'd be like going to the dollar store, but spending half a million dollars. No big deal. Isn't that crazy? For so, now, imagine Jesus now saying, it's hard for a rich man to come to the kingdom because they have so much resource and self-reliance. And you know what? The same seeds that are in that person's ability to think that way about themselves are in everybody. And so everybody starts to think about themselves. I can do it. And sometimes it pulls us away from God instead of pulling us to him because only he can do it. Only he can bring us to himself. Hey, um, can you please play for me, Roy, the video with the guy uh, talking, the, the guru guy? This is a guru guy. Let's hear what he has to say. Watch what you say and watch what you think. But when you need in the sarcasm, the things that you naturally say out of just anger, sarcasm, frustration every day. There's people that say, I wish I could just die. Guess what happens? People say it out of sarcasm, they say it out of just joking, or they repeat certain words over and over. Well, those words end up, whatever it is, because I used to always say something like, for example, um, it, it'd be crazy to try to deliver pizza in a Ferrari. And I would say that. I would say that for 20 years. And guess what I ended up getting? Not the pizza. There were things that I said out of fantasy, just sheer fantasy and it becomes a reality. I hear people say negative things just automatically because they're unhappy with life and they're frustrated and they're sarcastic or well, they start attracting those very things that they're saying. 
So be careful what you say. Be careful what you think. Thoughts and words are energy. And you're putting the message out to make that happen. You're putting an order in to the waitress, the waiter. And once you say this stuff, whatever it is you repeat over and over, you're putting a message out there. And it start, the universe starts going, okay, well, this might take a while. It could take up to 20 years. It's going to go on. I'm going to have to have that person do that. You're going to have to move to that town. You're going to have to get that job and then get fired three years later. You're going to have to move over here. You're going to get that relationship. You're going to lose that relationship. And that's going to happen. But all these things, like playing a big game of Tetris, this gets moved up here, that over there, that over there, that over here, all that to make this happen. The order that you put out, the request that you put out, is gonna—it's doing whatever it can to make that happen. Reality, whatever you call it, doesn't have a, really a sense of humor. It's neutral. It does whatever it's told to do, including your body. Your body doesn't understand sarcasm. It doesn't understand that stuff. It just does whatever emotions and feelings you have. Trust me on this. Watch what you say. Watch what you think. It's energy, and you're attracting it into your life. So make it good. Make your thoughts and your words and what you say to other people, the examples you use in conversation, make them good, loving, positive things. Because that's what you're going to attract in your life. See you next time. That dude sold that message so many times he got a Ferrari. Really? This is one of the top, if you put in a search about, watch what you say, in YouTube, this is one of the first videos that comes up. It's like number five. What the heck? It's weird, isn't it? It's kind of true, sort of. According to James, it's sort of true. Rule your tongue. The whole energy thing in the universe, not true, right? And it's funny because he believes, he believes in providence, sort of. He sees somebody controlling all this stuff, but you put your order in. You know, there's a lot of preachers who preach and believe this about God. You put your order in based on the scripture. So he says things in the scripture, and you manifest that into your life. And it's not true. It's not true. Does what we say matter? Here is uh, the, on our little slide here, please, Roy. No problem. Roy, you're doing a great job. Here is the comments. I know you can't read them very well. Of some of the comments from two years ago when he posted that video and got all these views. First guy says, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> Good luck, bud. Second person, positive thoughts, positive words, positive life, and a bunch of emojis. This vo video is worthy for nomination as the best short clip by Marcus he's ever put out. Marcus, you're so amazing. I can honestly say that since I started following your videos, reading your books, and ordering your products, my life has done an about face. This is such a good, all caps, message. You are always right on. Thoughts become things. Choose the good ones. It's not true, guys. It's not true. But there is one person in all of existence, in all history, anywhere, who spoke, and it became creation. And his name is God. His name is Jesus. He's the Word become flesh. And as we come to him in prayer, as we come to him, his words become reality. Not our own. I'm saying this to you because it's easy to get duped into all kind of stuff. There's so much stuff out there that's weird, isn't it? Hey, James, can you play our, our next video for us? This is a little video about what you say and how what you say matters.
everything myself. Hey honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cause I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you, but I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. If you're a man who don't a long and happy life, <laughs> Your cooking is okay, but not like Mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. If that's so important, what we say to our wives, what we say to our husbands, what we say to our friends, it's so important. And, by the way, I'm just going to throw this out there. I did, just not in my notes. It's just off the cuff. It's, isn't it easy to misinterpret a text message? And we say important things over text message when we really should call or really should meet. Because what we say is so important. It's so important. All right, I'll get off that. This is James' last word. Chapter 5, 13 through 20 that we read before. He says this, Prayer, prayer is the ultimate taming of the tongue. It's the ultimate taming of the tongue. Isn't it interesting when bad things happen that sometimes prayer is the first thing you run to and sometimes a couple days later a friend reminds you, have you actually prayed about this? And you're like, oh man, I, I did when it first happened. And it's like, it's not, why isn't it the default for us? Why isn't it the default when we are angry and want to complain about work to come to the Lord and speak to him about it according to his word? instead of to let our tongue talk to our coworkers, Why isn't it the default to be encouraging in the Word of God and to pray about things before we make a post to say something negative about whatever on anything? And I know some of you aren't even on Facebook or Internet stuff or whatever, but it's so prevalent everywhere now. It's just everywhere how people just unbridled tongues say all kind of things. And we believe that everybody has something really valuable to say, and a lot of people don't. They just don't. Because we're like, man, what you said is so good. But you know what? This is, this is the standard. It's what he said. And James, even in his time, had the same stuff without Facebook. Can you believe it? The same stuff. Because he told them, just like he's telling us, bridle your tongue. Make your tongue follow the word of God. 
Stop your speech. Be careful what you say. Don't just try to manifest things into your life and follow some other weird religion, something. Instead, come to God, look at his word, and then let your speech line up with what he says. It's different, isn't it? If you're suffering, he tells us we should pray. He starts with that, which is interesting because he starts the whole book with suffering. Same kind of thing. Count it all joy, brothers, if you're going through many trials. And now in his little summary, he starts again. If you're suffering, you should pray. What should you do if you are cheerful? Sing praise, which is just sung prayer, basically. And so still the tongue is controlled by praying to God in a different format because your heart's light. Isn't that wonderful? Then he goes on to say, are you sick? Have the elders pray. Come forward, be anointed with oil. You know, the oil is just oil. Honestly, we go through a couple different kinds. Usually, sometimes we use olive oil. Sometimes it's lavender or some other doTERRA something. Never, you know, one of the other brands. <laughs> just like, listen, I like doTERRA. I'm just playing with you. It soaps in the bathroom. It's good. There's probably a song. doTERRA really is great, but anyway. The, the oil has no, no power. It's just oil. But we anoint in the name of Jesus. Why? Because in the Old Testament, all the Jews understood when you anoint somebody, you set them apart for God's service. And it's a reminder, a physical reminder. God has set you apart. He's made you his own. He is doing something. And now in the name of Jesus, because if he speaks, it becomes reality. And so now in the name of Jesus, we're coming to him, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Sustainer of the world. And by his power, we look for his salvation on you, his healing on you. And so here's a physical reminder of what he is already doing. And you know the reality, sometimes people die. They don't get better. And still we can say, you know what? God is so faithful to his word because there will be a day still when they'll be raised to life. But man, it's great when they get healed, isn't it? And it really does happen because prayer really is effective because God really is listening. How cool is that? Here's something that's really important too. James does not tell us, if you have faith, come up and have the elders pray. It also doesn't say, come up and receive the elders' prayer with faith. You can have no faith. You can be out of faith. Now, I'm not saying you've abandoned the faith. You still know the Lord, but you can be so weak in yourself because of sickness, because you're weakened, that you're coming up saying, I got nothing left in the tank. Stand with me. And now it's the elder's prayer of faith that God is listening to. That's incredible. That's incredible because a lot of times people don't get healed. They say, well, you don't have enough faith. James doesn't tell us that. In fact, he puts really the whole point of it is it's God's word. It's what God is doing. The elders are kind of, they're not inconsequential because he tells us to come to them. But it's really, it's the Lord doing it. He's the one. And the elder's faith is not directed into that the person's going to receive it. The elder's faith is directed to that God is hearing and God is doing something. Isn't that incredible? That's a big difference. That means when you pray for somebody, wherever, even if you are just walking through the street and you see something happen, you say, Lord, I pray for that lady over there, Father, that you would do something. Her faith has no bearing. Because you as a priest now, in God's economy, has come before the Lord of Lords that you would say a prayer of faith. And God hears it and he does things. How cool is that? In fact, James is going to go on to tell us everyone should be praying. Everyone should be looking into the righteousness of God and speaking. It's not just the elders. 
It's all the people of God coming before him with prayer because it demonstrates his lordship in our lives, just like tithing, just like controlling our tongue, because it is the ultimate expression of controlling our tongue. Isn't that incredible? It's awesome. He tells us that we should look at Elijah as an example, who stood alone and suffered. He stood alone against the prophets of Baal. He had the, if you recall the story, he had the sacrifice even doused with water before he asked God to fill, to come down with fire and burn up the sacrifice. How incredible is that? He fought against idolatry. He fought against sinfulness. He fought against a corrupt leadership. He fought against all kind of stuff and stood alone to the point where the queen's army was out to try to kill him. And he basically slipped into depression. Basically. And then retreated away across the desert into a cave where he tried to hide. And God came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And Elijah's response was, just kill me. It'd be better if I weren't born. After doing all those great things. Because he didn't see the fullness of it. He saw partial. He didn't see all of it. Lord, just, just take me away. And so God speaks to him in miracles, in earthquakes, and all kinds of things. And then the whisper of God's own voice comes to him. And Elijah immediately recognizes he's standing in the, pre, in the actual presence of God who is speaking to him. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah, in a moment of actual, absolute despair, again says, God, just kill me now. Just take me away. It'd be better if I weren't born. Man, he was a man just like us. And yet did all these incredible, miraculous things. And God still used him after that. And still sent him after that. And still discipled another prophet who would rise up, Elisha, after him. Who would serve him and attend to him and stay with him. And then Elisha would go on to do even greater things. And still God sent yet another greater prophet named John the Baptist who would stand in the wilderness eating bugs. Wearing crazy clothes. Because he was chastised and... and basically led out by the people, only some are responding, saying, make way the paths of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. And then God sent his ultimate prophet, Jesus, who would ultimately die as a criminal for you. Ultimately. And James is reminding us, remember Elijah, even the depression-ridden prophet, the greatness that God did, he prayed and he said, Lord, don't let it rain, and the rain stopped. He prayed again, and the rains came. If God did that even in Elijah, and God didn't spare his own son for us, how much better is he doing in you now that he has actually indwelled you as his temple, that he has actually put his word on you, that he is actually carrying you, that he's brought you into himself now, that you can be a family member. Now that he walks with you all the time, he never leaves you, he never abandons you. The word is in you, written on your heart in a way Elijah could only dream about. And so how much more for us should we remember to walk in what God has done and that his prayer, his prayer is effective. That's what he tells us. The very last word he has for us. Let's read it together. James chapter 5, verse 19 says this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know, all this stuff, prayer, 
taming your tongue, living out the word, all these things. The one main thing that James wants you to remember, the last word he has, if you get one thing, it's be about God's business. It's if you can save one person from wandering, save their soul, save their life. How do you do that? How do you actually do this? If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, it's, it, yeah, it's the word of God. And if we're not seasoned in prayer, if we're not ready, if our tongues aren't bridled to be able to speak his word, in the moment when it counts most because lives are at stake, how can we be ready to tell people about the truth of God? And if we're not living it, if we're defiled by the world, if we're friends with the world, if we're living as ones who don't care and stains are all over us, how can they hear the word of God from us? And so all of James' message, everything he has comes down to this. You are a life ambassador. And where you go, God's word goes and brings life to everyone because his gospel is life to us. And the word in us is life that we would be able to speak to people and help them understand what real salvation looks like. And it's not just manifesting good thoughts to get Ferraris. It's actually knowing Christ, our Savior, who died for us, who rose again and who lives now eternally, that we would be with him, that we would know him, that we would be right with God, that we would actually be in his presence again. How incredible. How incredible. The last word that we have. Don't forget the truth. Be ready to speak it. Let's save people from death. Because that's what James really comes down to. It's not just being people who do great things. But people who are really committed to the real mission. Who really see it. Who really see that there is life and death consequences to what God says and how we live. It's a big calling, isn't it? It's a big calling, and I'm telling us that the Lord has equipped us to do it. How do we move to action? How do we pray like this? How do we follow God this way? Here's the thing that you need to remember, and we've said this almost every time we've looked at James. God has called us. God has purchased us. God cleanses us. God keeps us. How do you actually live this out? You start by doing this. Receive the word of God. Draw near to Christ and then walk in his way. Sometimes we think, if I'm going to save people like this, if I'm going to see the gospel move forward, if I'm going to do great things, if I'm going to have prayers like Elijah, man, i got to move to Africa. i got to move to India. Mother Teresa life, it's got to happen. But I'm telling you, it's the little steps like we talked about before. How do we do that? It's by today saying, Lord, I receive your word. Cleanse me. Cleanse me from those thoughts I had. Lord, when nobody else is around and I'm speaking things I know that aren't your word, forgive me, I want to walk in your way. And instead, let the word of God permeate our lives, that everything we do, everything we say, everything we, we put our hand to, wherever our eyes look, whatever we are into, it looks like his godliness. It looks like Christ's love on us. And that's what comes out of us, because out of the overflow of the heart, suddenly our bridled tongue speaks the glories of God. Man, that guy... He was trying to manifest things from the universe. He needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. And I really, really, really doubt that an angel is going to appear to him in one of his videos. Because the way God brings people to salvation is through his people. He sends his people. He has us speak and speak the truth. That's you. That's what you're called to. Let the book of James build you up. Not to feel like you're doing a terrible job. 
Not to feel like you're not a doer of the word, but instead to say, Lord, I see what you have done, and I trust your word more than I trust my own mouth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're our Lord. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your word on us. Help us, God, to be doers. Help us, God, to be people who not just hear your word, not just know your word, not just attempt your word, but, Lord, help us to be people who, filled with the Holy Spirit, are doers of your word. Lord, help us commit ourselves to prayer that we would see you move in every circumstance in life. And give us opportunities, God, where we can glorify you by speaking your word. Lord, I ask you for a harvest of new life, God, of people that you have brought into kingdom by your word that we can speak out in truth to see, God, people who are saved from sin. Lord, we trust you and we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And I'll see you next week at the picnic. Praise the Lord. Have a great day, guys.